This is The Bass is Calling. My name is Valentin Schütz and today I'm with Paul Liebrand and this is our first podcast in person. Paul, where are we today? Good afternoon. Uh, we are in New York City. We are on the edge of Chinatown and we're having a lovely afternoon chat. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. Um, yeah, a lot of people know you, but for those of of our listeners who don't know you yet um can you give a short introduction who you are what you're doing what you did um well i am originally from london from the uk um i grew up there and i've worked when i was living in the uk in many of the michelin two three star establishments there and i came over to new york in 2000 and one and I opened a restaurant called Atlas here originally, and we got um, very well received here in New York. And I have developed my career here in New York and America as a British chef. Um, and we have done many things here a movie, you name it. We've done it here. We, we, we come to the movie in a second, and we talked about it before. Um, the main topic of today, I think, which is super interesting for a lot of young chefs around the world is how is it to come as a non-American to America? Mm. Um, how, is it, how, do, how do you make it in this country as a chef? Um, and because there are a lot of differences, there is, uh, it, 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 everything works different, more or less. And just to start, how, what made you, what, what, how did you make the decision to come to America? I I came I came to New York uh, for two week a week and a half ten days yes ten days for a holiday and I I don't know what it was I just something clicked and I just fell in love with this city and this country I think the sensibility here was very different from back then to London France everywhere where I I had worked so I went back to London. I was engaged and I stopped my engagement and I moved. I just moved here and I didn't have a job. I didn't have family, friends, anything here. I didn't have any money. I had nothing. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a visa to come and work here. And I just showed up and started knocking on doors. Um, so you were literally going from restaurant to restaurant and say, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I did a bit of research of which restaurants to go knock on doors. But uh, yes, yeah, no, I didn't have any, any um, colleagues here or support or anything. Not at all. No. Did you have a specific goal? Something like when you, you came here, like, I want to achieve this or, or that? I, I think coming from the UK, 2000, 2001, that time was a big changing point, I think, in, in gastronomy, in uh, Europe. Um, and uh, there was a sense of freedom here, which was not what I felt. And I, mean, I was obviously, you know, much younger then. It was a sense of freedom here, which was different to the sort of regimented system of you have to do X, Y, Z to proceed in your career in the UK and France, etc. then. And America was, and I think is, but very much, um, it's what you bring to the table. 
And I've, that, that was, I think, the biggest sense of why I decided to come here. Um, yeah. And from a gastronomic perspective, what are the main differences to Europe, for example, or in your case, London specifically? I mean, talking about gastronomy back then, I would say definitely it was much more multicultural here. We had a lot more influence, Japanese influence, etc., um, Latino influence. Things were far bigger here than in Europe, where the gastronomic scene and the Michelin-style-starred restaurants were very French. Um, and you could probably, you know, list three items that were on every single menu at every Michelin-starred restaurant in the whole country because it was just the way it was. Things have changed now, obviously. But coming here for the first time, it, it wasn't like that here. It, it was a much more flexible and um, much more interesting. So. For the curious mind, for gastronomy, for me, it was far more intellectually nourishing for me than what I had done. Uh, there was more sense of freedom, I think. Okay, and from, I, I always think at the end, gastronomy also adapts to the guests in the country, in the culture. Um, because, of course, you need guests, those are your customers. How are the guests, how do the guests here in the United States differ from maybe Europe or other countries? What, what, what are they looking for? Well, it's a big country, so I think it depends where you go in the country. New York is obviously very different to Chicago as it is to LA, as it is to Memphis or where, wherever you go in a country. Um, I, I would say most definitely that uh, New York, LA, London, they're all pretty much the same because they're pretty homogenized. You travel is much easier today. The guests that come and eat in London are the same ones that come and eat in New York. So um, I, I wouldn't say there's a huge difference between that. It's once you go out of the big cities and you go to, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Midwest, the, the southern part, you get a lot more of the cultural experience of what makes up food in America, for example. You know, the south of this country is very different to the north based on the land. Uh, the west coast is different to the east coast. That's where the interesting part comes in. Yeah. Okay. And the cooking style in general, is it, use, I mean, New York has every kitchen in the world you can imagine. But when you go as a chef into a kitchen, is it a different way of working? Is it... Um, I mean, also from, I, I talked to a chef just recently, I'm here for two months and I get so much input and the guys actually told me working in Europe is harder because you have more hours to do and here you, it's, and I was super surprised because our, we always think America, hard workers, long hours. No, very different. Um, what I would say is with the, we're talking about the Michelin, I'm guessing, you know, level price point of restaurants here. Europe, London, Paris, that, that uh, if you go to like a two or three star, yes, you work many hours, fine. You work many hours here too. Believe me, I've owned multiple restaurants here, all with multiple Michelin stars. The hours don't change. The work is still the work. The difference with Europe to here is you do more volume here. So if you go to a three-star 
in London or Paris. Okay, you do 40 covers, 45 for dinner. Here, 100, 120. It's a big difference there. So you have to adapt how you work. You have to adapt what you do. I mean, obviously, it's very different, different technique-wise, 40 to 120, for example. So it, it depends. It depends. But definitely, America, you know, the cost of what you do is, is, can be more expensive depending where you are. You've got to obviously make a business, so therefore you have to obviously appeal to a larger audience, whereas Europe, you can uh, have difference depending where you are, but um, you don't need to cook for so many people. So they are the same, but they're also different, but in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And how is that possible to, to I don't know, perform on 140 covers um, with the same quality on a two-star, three-star? What are they doing different? Why, why is that? Well, I would say that in this country, and I have, I have worked all over the world. I've done, you name it, we have worked with everybody all over the world, brand-wise, chef-wise, and I would say America is very, very good at organizing, very structured. Um, and I think that the way you learn how to work here and embrace the, the technical skill of organization, structuring, uh, if you do that correctly, you can give yourself the means to do 120 covers and do them correctly. It's it's not impossible at all. I mean, there's you know we we would do that. Uh, many restaurants do that, and you can do it if you structure it in the right way. Um, so I think that's probably probably the the benchmark of how you can do it mm -hmm. because the ingredients and the techniques don't change. I mean, fish, meat, vegetable, they are the same as in Europe. The technique of cooking something doesn't change dramatically, so none of that changes. It's how you organize yourself, how you give yourself the structure to do it. So yes, I think it, 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 it depends, yeah. And what are the, when you want to open a restaurant, and we talked about that a couple of days ago, what is the process? Because that seems to be fairly different um, to other places um, in terms of capital needed, but in terms of a lot of things, I guess. What is the process if you say, hey, I love New York. I want to open my, open my restaurant, for example, in New York. Open a restaurant in New York? Yeah. You need a lot of money. <laughs> Where do you get but that it, from? But it's, but it's not just money. Um, I know plenty of restaurateurs that have opened restaurants and they've had unlimited capital to like a blank check to to do anything they want they open they spend the money and the restaurant closes it's not just about the money you have to be embraced by society um, there are many european chefs that have come to new york three-star chefs that have had carte blanche unlimited capital they open they're here for two years three years and then they close and then they go away uh, but they don't necessarily do anything different to what they were doing in London or Paris. So it, it's more than just the money. You, you have to be embraced by society here. Um, it's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely a hard one to do. It's not easy to open a restaurant in New York. You have to know what you're doing here, for sure. It is the Premier League, I will tell you that. So champion, yeah. Premier League, Champions League. Um, Absolutely, yeah. 
what is the most important thing besides, of course, um, having a good kitchen? What is the, how do you get accepted by society, as you said? I think, um, well, it's not one thing, as with everything, it's not one thing. Consistency is very important. It's not so much when you do a Michelin restaurant, you're telling a story. And I'm talking more of the sort of three-star level of, of what we do. It's a story. It's you're delivering on what someone is dreaming of what they think it should be. And it's your job to deliver that dream. So in order to do that, you have to be very consistent. You have to understand your clientele in a way where you can deliver on that. And that's something which is easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice to do. If you can do that and you can give your clientele in New York, LA, wherever it is, if you can give them something that they can embrace, they will keep coming back and that's your restaurant. It sounds easy. It's much harder to do that yeah. on a day. There's so many restaurants that open, they do sell good food and they don't last. And it's not necessarily because they were doing anything bad, food or service-wise. It's not one thing. But that's the same with restaurants anywhere, I think. London's the same. Paris is the same. No different. But definitely New York is very, very much like that. It's the story, the show, the the bigger picture of what you're doing as a guest when you come, that's what you're looking for, not just good food. These days there are many good restaurants all around the world. There weren't so many 25 years ago. There are now. So therefore it's not so much about getting good food, it's about the package. Mm. And that's the thing that you have to look at when you want to open a restaurant where you have a lot of competition. You have um, resources that can be stretched because staffing wise i think i don't think i have to tell anybody in the whole restaurant industry anywhere in the world it's challenging to find and keep staffing no matter what kind of restaurant you are you have to compete with everybody else because they need staff so to do all of these things very challenging very to sum that up that means okay that you cook on a high level is okay that's the basis anyway. If you're not cooking on a high level, okay, you don't even think about opening a restaurant, but it's more the story you tell and the whole package around it, you create the experience you create for the, for the guests, which is even more important here to survive in that environment. I, absolutely. I mean, it, I, I would say it's akin to like watching a good film. You can have a great actor or actors in a great film that can act their part extremely well but maybe the storyline or the, the sound or whatever it is about the film is not so good the film at the end when you finish watching it might not deliver on what you think it would do so it's more than the sum of its parts you need everything to be in sync um, and to deliver and the restaurant is the same thing it's not just the food it's not just the service it's not just the cocktails at the bar it's not the decor it's all of it it's the story that you are telling. And that's the same. It doesn't have to be high-end. I mean, you look at something like Shake Shack. Shake Shack is not anything new. You know, I mean, it's, it's fast food in a more elevated way, I suppose you could say. Um, so it's not anything that people have not had before, but the story that Shake Shack tells, the whole thing, the package, all of it, when you put it all together, it makes it much more than the sum of its parts. It's great. I mean, Shake Shack is fantastic. 
It's the same thing as like in an out burger, which is a big, obviously, in this country, in an out burger, Shake Shack. I prefer in an out burger, but that, don't tell anybody here. That's more of a West Coast thing. <laughs> Nobody's going to listen but, to that anyway. But, it, but it, it's, um, you know, it, it's, again, the story you tell, and it's the whole package. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have some tips how to tell a great story in a restaurant as a chef? Uh, mm. Honest, from my po point of view, I always think the personality is the one that speaks the loudest. Your personality of who you are is what you are putting on the plate. It's your personality of what you feel in the dining room as a guest. You might not see the chef, you might not hear the chef, but you should feel the personality. Um, and that, again, that's a hard one to do. It, but I think if you look at the ones that do it the best, um, it's just there's something that they do which is a, it, you can't replicate it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have some experience with that yourself. I read in the, um, an article um, that you blindfolded guests. Okay, the pastry chef, at least that's the story I read in the, in the internet, that there was one dish where the people were blindfolded to um, eat it. Um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was, we, we did a dinner where we were playing on the sensory application of taking away what you see, what you touch, what you smell, that, that element. And, This, we did these dinners um, right after 9-11 on purpose to get people, and this was in New York, obviously, to get people to focus on what was obviously happening on our doorstep, to come in for dinner and switch off what was happening and, and embrace something more fun, more cerebral, that they wouldn't be thinking about what was going on outside. So we, yes, we did a few dinners where the pastry chef and I, um, well, came up with some, and it, they were really fun. New York Times and everybody had a really fun time. Um, it's not obviously, nowadays you can do that and it's like, whatever, like that's been done. But I think when we did this in 2001, uh, there weren't that many people doing stuff like this. So yeah. And, and it's, it creates a story, it brings yeah. in the media, and that Brings me to my next question, because that's also what I figured out quite different here. So what is important for chefs? And media is super important to fill your restaurant, to be, you know, that people talk about you're the newest shit in the city, more or less. How, how is that working in New York? What is important for chefs? How do you fill your restaurant? Um, there is the New York Times, but what, what, what medias are important? Well, I think social media obviously is quite important because that reaches a wide selection as we are talking here on your app reaches a wide selection across the globe of people um there's two different ways i mean there's one thing to get instant recognition which is one thing but you want it to last there's no point in going to a party and you know once you want to keep going back so to me um i've always felt that it's more important to have more longevity rather than a short, instant fame. I mean, many people come here, they get, you know, a, a headline, they get a review, they're gone in a year. Nobody wants that. That, that. that doesn't last. So the money, the time, the effort, all of it that you put into it, you want to actually have longevity out of it. So it's not so much about the instantaneous part of it in New York. It's more about delivering something that people can keep coming back to. 
but also that is something which has its own personality. Hmm. So it, it's not so much about instantaneous fame because these days, everybody's famous for 15 minutes. That's what Instagram and TikTok and everything else does, but it's 15 minutes. You want to be famous after the 15 minutes. So that's, uh, I guess you have to kind of live a little longer and see that to kind of yeah. i mean it's the same everywhere you know people want to get rich from one day to another mm -hmm. and you know lift, lift um, go yeah, to the melodies as we're talking right now it's funny you say that because you know a lot of people thought that a year ago with crypto and then you look a year on you see what's happening right now there's a lot of broke people right now yeah. right so i mean life is weird life is funny you don't know so it's i, I think about looking at the long game I've always felt is far more important than instantaneous kind of, uh, you know, flash in the pan sort of thing. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, for the listeners, we are recording this on the 16th of November, yep. 2022. So um, just the, the crypto bubble burst. Crypt, like crypto, Bitcoin was what, 65, 69,000 a year ago, last November. It's at what, 15 right now, I think. So that's, a, that's quite a big difference right there. And so, you know, things happen and FTX and everything else that's going on. Uh, yeah. So it's not about instantaneous. Yeah. It's about thinking bigger picture and long run. And I, I would say that having come to this country, which if I had maybe thought instantaneous, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you from this country. But, um, you know, these days, attention spans are not kind of developed yeah. the way they used to be, unfortunately. So it depends on what you want. I, I totally agree. We see that we are a startup and we see that in the startup industry as well. And I can tell you two years ago, investors like burn money, grow, grow, you know, grow or die. And suddenly today they say, hey, you know, build a profitable business. We love that, that you're so sustainable. And, you know, things really change. So I, I'm happy that we always said, hey, let's build something. We have a purpose behind yeah, it. You, and let's, you, let's you, go for the long run look, and enjoy the way. It's like making wine. You want, you, you know, you've you, you got to be patient. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got you to develop something. And yeah, it's, yeah you, growth is obviously important, but you've got to do it the right way. Otherwise, you don't you plow yourself into the ground very quick. I mean, it, and that's the same with every business, not just especially restaurants, especially chefs, but every business is the same. I, I agree. I mean, how many apps come and go? You know, thousands, right? I, I totally, yeah. I, I totally agree. And there, maybe we can draw the connection to to chefs. Who is one of the or which chefs in in New York or in the U.S. are role models for this going the long way, um, you know, being sustainable and keeping mm. the level over time um, and keep um, and staying relevant in, in your opinion. In the US, for me personally, I've had the honor to to become, you know, friendly, more than friendly, close friends with Jean-Georges, Danielle, Thomas Keller. Th those are the people. I mean, they are the generation before us before you know myself and you uh but they've been around quite a while now so if you if you're still doing what you're doing 35 years into it then you're doing something right and you're delivering the standards the quality of what your expectations are as a customer you're doing something right so i i look at a jean georges um 
as someone, you know, he came here in the 80s from France. He had had experience working with uh, Jean-Louis Autier. Oh, sorry, not Jean-Louis, Louis Autier outside. And he came here and he put his feet down and he has 40 plus restaurants around the world. He understands the business of what we do. And he's, he's, a, he's a role model in many ways. Um, and I think Thomas Keller has defined America on the gastronomic front as with the French Laundry and with Per Se and with Bouchon, et cetera, of the standard of taking what French cuisine is and making the American um, polish to it. Um, and I think his philosophy of, of uh, the, the balance between the two cuisines is very important and a role model again for standards. Uh, I mean, I, I look at that and I think that's, I mean, it's, what they're doing is, is the same as a Ducasse, um, as a, you know, Robichon, God bless him, as when he was with us. Same thing, but that is a good role model. That, that, that's something that you can look at and didn't happen overnight, but you build it, you develop it, and you deliver something that is, will stand the test of time. So to me, that, that's the important thing. Not, we're going to be hot for a year and a half, and then we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Sean George and Daniel Hume are also great examples. They're both Europeans. They came here and they made it. And those, including Thomas Keller, what is their success? Why is that? Why are they, why are they still, still there? And what do you think is their success? What? Well, I, I, I think, um, again, it was what I was saying that um, ingratiating yourself with, obviously, New York society is very important so that uh, you, are un you are embraced by um, you know, different segments of, of society. But the same with any city. You have to be ingratiated um, with the people that matter there. Otherwise, you open, nobody, it's like throwing a great party and nobody shows up. You know, people have to know you're there. They have to know what you're doing. They have to like what you're doing and keep coming back. It's as simple as that. So, and and it sounds easy, but my God, it's hard to do. And you have to keep doing it. The same with any, any business. You have to keep evolving with what's going on in life around the world. You know, today is very different to 20 years ago. So the way you approach your clientele, the needs of the customer, how you deliver your message of who you are, changes. So understanding that is very important. I would love to jump into that really quickly. We, we talked about that. So, I mean, New York has the highest density of billionaires in the world, um, I, I guess. Um, maybe London, um, yeah, more I, or less. I, I, there are a lot I, of billionaires I, here. We can, oh, there are a lot. There, oh, yes. There, yes so yes, yes. If, you go to other, if you go to a European country, let's say Vienna from, from my mm. home country, you know, there are a lot of millionaires, there are a lot of rich people, but you don't have a lot of billionaires, you know, and you don't, it's not the same density of rich people. And that means when you open a restaurant, the... Yeah, but price has got nothing. How, how many millions or billions has nothing to do with filling your restaurant? Just because you have money doesn't mean you're going to be going to someone's restaurant, right? Because if you look at the, from a diner's point of view, what I charge in my restaurants Uh, you don't have to be a billionaire to eat there, right? It's got nothing to do with that. It's to do with looking at the society that wants to come and dine at your restaurant. A lot of billionaires 
um, have private chefs. They don't eat out every night. But it is, you know? I agree, but it is important for funding your restaurant. That's what we mm. also talk that, you know, opening a restaurant, how much is it in New York? Do, Depend, you, it depends on the kind of restaurant you want to do. Um, fine dining? Right. Um, you know, a lot of, I mean, you, there are many different ways you can obviously do it. Um, you know, you partner with a developer, and they're building a new property and they want to have a restaurant in there. Um, hotel, not so much these days. Um, or you just have a, a billionaire friend that says, I want to do a restaurant. Again, that doesn't happen that often. That's, that's the rarity. But there are many different ways to do it. Um, it's expensive in every big city to open a restaurant. I mean, it, there's nowhere that's cheap. Nowhere. It, it is what it is to do. It, it costs money to do. And to the real cost is not necessarily just the opening. It's once you're open, it's being able to keep it funded. You have to be consistently busy. That's the... That's the part that really where most restaurants are in, in, in the fine dining part don't become a Friday, Saturday, you're busy, and then the rest of the week you're dead because you're a special occasion or you're in a location where you're not, gonna, you're not easily accessible. So it depends, obviously, on a lot of different factors. Yes. But do you have a number? Um, just roughly, let's say you're completely opening a new space. There is nothing in there. There's no kitchen you can take oh, over. You're, you're talking millions. Millions, yeah. In New York, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, and that differs. To, 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 build, to build a restaurant in a, in a nice vanilla box space, millions, yeah. Absolutely. And the network, you mentioned before, it's important to have a network. Mm. And I think I, that's, that's a really interesting thought that, you say the investor or whoever is, you know, you're partnering with as a chef should have a nice restaurant to fill your restaurant. What, what did you mean by that? Um, well, I, I, if you, for example, okay, let me, let me, let me maybe uh, put this in a different context. If I was to go to another country, um, not London, because I'm British, but let's say, a, let's say a non-European country, somewhere else in the world. Build a restaurant, pop the hatch and just say, here I am, I have a restaurant. It's going to be much harder to fill your restaurant. It's going to be much harder to ingratiate yourself with obviously the community of wherever you are than, it is, than if you have a, um, a society that knows who you are, what you're doing, and embraces what you do. Right? It's, it's, it's very challenging to, to do that. Um, and you see this in every big city. You have chefs or restaurateurs go to other cities. It happens in New York all the time. You're generally successful in your own home country. You come here, you go, well, you know, we're, we're busy in Shanghai or wherever we're from. And you pop a hatch and here in New York, and yeah, we'll be full because lots of people are here. And you're half full. And you're like, why? It happens all the time. So it's very important to, to be embraced by mm. the societal aspect. And New York is very much about that, maybe a little more than other, um, it's like London, same thing, very more than other cities because you have a lot of restaurants here. So you're not spoilt uh, with not, you know, you, you can go out seven nights a week, eat everything you want. 
So you have to really be able to be embraced by it. So mm. it's, um, yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good tip. When you go to another country, find a partner from that country. Gen that's why with gen generally, I, I mean, like I can speak from my experience that, you know, we have restaurants, uh, you know, in other parts of the world that, say we go to Bangkok, but we have two restaurants there. I'm just going to show up in Bangkok and open a restaurant and go, hi, everyone. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm from New York. Here I am. And go, you're going to go, who's this guy? You have a strategic partner, i.e. a hotel there, but that can bring the people to you who otherwise, everyone's busy. They don't necessarily going to make time to go find out who you are. So it's very important to have that. Very important. And, and that's, that's for every big city in the world. You and you see, you have chefs that come to New York, London, Paris, that open, and it's crickets. And they can't understand why. So, yeah. Really valuable advice yeah. for everyone who's mm. thinking coming here. And for the young chefs who think about coming to the United States, maybe New York in particular, any tips and advices you have for them? Um, I would say that coming to this country, um, I mean, I, I love this, <clears throat> I love this country. I think it's, it is, it is definitely, um, the American dream is still here. I, I, I strongly believe it. Yes, I came from London. It's not like I came from, you know, elsewhere in the world, but still this, this country delivers. Um, and I would say that to come here, you have to open your eyes, open your eyes. And you have to be very, very much on your toes all the time. It's not just about hard work. You've got to be sharp. Yeah. It's much more that than elsewhere, I would say so. All right. Cool. Uh, it was really a wide-ranging conversation. I have um, two final questions for you. That's more going in the culinary direction. Mm -hmm. I... Uh, one thing before we come to that, I mean, you produced a documentary. Um, I, 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 I didn't produce it. I was, I was the subject matter of a documentary that was filmed uh, for 10 years on me um, that HBO, BBC, da, 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 the whole world, they, you know, the film went out there. A Matter of Taste, Serving Up Paul Liebrandt was, we, you know, quite of a big thing, actually, that, you know, there aren't many, I don't think, over 10 years that were filmed. So, yes. Did that... Uh, that was super interesting. Yesterday evening, um, I watched a little bit, half of it. I was going to finish it today. How did they approach you? How did you get that? Was it like... An... Um, the first restaurant I opened here, Atlas, um, the wine director, his then-girlfriend, now wife, was a producer, did a documentary style, came to me, and I was 24 when I came to New York, so I was, I was very young, and she said, look, the style, the food, your personality, etc., is rather interesting, do you mind if we just film, for no reason, there wasn't any plan, and I just said, yeah, you know, stand in the corner, don't get in my way, blah, 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 usual. She just came in every month and just carried on filming. I mean, like five years into it, I'm looking at like, why are you here still, like what? And, you know, she met a really great producer, Alan Oxman, who won an Academy Award for one of something he did. And they put it together. Um, and they made a, you know, a sort of a movie about 
It's more about the life of a, of a young person. It happens to be that I cook, but more of a young person. And yeah, HBO bought it, and then BBC bought it, and RTL and everything. And we won an Emmy Award, which is kind of fun here. And uh, it went around the world. And I think it was interesting because we all have the same issues in life. No matter what business you're in, young people are people everywhere in the world. No matter what language you speak, no matter where you're from. So everybody can, re- can look at it and read into it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I understand that part because I've had the same. So it translates very well to just life in general. So that was, I think, kind of the interesting, successful nature. Because honestly, watching people cook is kind of boring. It really is. It's not that interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do an hour and a half of that, no. How, what, did it, what did this documentary do to your brand? Well, a lot, more, well a, a lot more people knew who I was, obviously. Um, I think it opened up very much um, a different category for myself um, because before that, it was very much culinary. So people knew me as a chef, culinary, and if you're in the culinary world, fine. Um, but obviously, when you have something like that that goes outside of the culinary world and non-food people watch it across the world, uh you 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 definitely expand what you do so it was um kind of eye-opening to see that to be honest with you yeah cool a matter of taste um you can find it on amazon prime yeah. that's at least where i found it yeah it depends in the, where in the world you know it was on netflix and they they move they, you know they move the movies i think it's on amazon prime in america i know it's on apple i think um in europe but it, they change it i don't know off the top of my head exactly where but on amazon yeah for sure that, that leads me to to my two final questions and the one is i mean in the especially in this documentary people can see what you cooked in your really active time and what is your what is the favorite dish you ever created one <laughs> that really stands out do you have one what was it i i don't have a favorite dish now the other dishes would get jealous if i had one favorite dish <laughs> I, you know, to me, I've never been, so, uh, so when I, when I was, before I moved to this country, so I, I, I did the whole, you know, working in London and, and, you know, La Manoir, Cassaison and all that stuff. Um, and I went to work with Pierre Gagné in, in Paris. And that to me was a very big, not just culinary, but very big life lesson in thoughtfulness and creativity and it wasn't about having a signature dish or having one or two things it was more about the overall theme and sensibility of what you deliver as a package that really struck me the personality so I, i've never really focused on having necessarily a signature one thing it's more about the overall process the overall thought the overall everything makes up something much bigger. Um, so I, I couldn't give you one particular thing. I mean, certainly, you know, the dishes have their own personality. And, uh, you know, I, my style, I say, would be modern French with a lot of influence from world. I guess it's not one particular thing. But it, it's, to me, it's more about the, uh, the overall personality of what you do. Yeah. And, and, and let's assume you need to choose today your last dish oh. uh, you know uh, last dish well, the last um, dish you ever 
gonna eat. It can be a menu if you if you wish. But what would be your last dish? Last dish. I would have to say it, it would probably have to be Thai food. Um, I do have a very special affinity for that that country and for that uh, that style of cuisine. Um, probably, I don't know. I, I, I would say Thai food. Yeah, would be probably that. I wouldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't single out one particular dish, but definitely Thai food. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Paul. Thanks a lot. It was um, a lot of fun. Um, first, I think first podcast episode in person. I think it went well. Um, where can people find you if they look for you and say, "Hey, I want to check out what Paul is doing." I, I think the best thing, because obviously social media encapsulates the globe these days for everybody. I think the probably Instagram or through my website, obviously, because. You can follow where I am, what I'm doing through that. So, you know, www.paulliebrandt.com or on Instagram at paulliebrandt <laughs> would be the best way to uh, follow, contact, questions, you name it. That's always the best way. We're going to link it in the notes. Um, Paul, it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.